So I want to start at the beginning of the Deeg story. It's uh, 1867 and uh, WH Deeg migrates from England. Tell us about that pre-migration story and, and what you guys know and, and can share with us. William Deeg arrived, as you said, in 1867 to Bendigo, obviously during the gold rush. Bendigo was called Sandhurst back then. And to be honest, we learnt most of this history back then when we opened a hotel there about four years ago. We did a, uh, one of the art series hotels there and we really delved into the family's history, uh, which started in 1867, Bendigo, which William Deeg in fact built the tallest chimney in Victoria in 1867 and was one of the founding members of what is now the Master Builders Association. And the family's been in, in property and property development and building since then. Bendigo, then it was over to Perth during the, the gold rush there, but predominantly in Victoria. How much of that story makes up the fabric, do you think, of the company today? Obviously, it's still a family-run company. Do you take inspiration from, obviously, your father, David, and, and then further down the track, William, as well? We definitely do, and it's very much a family-run company now. It's very much, you know, family-run, operated, very much an open-door policy. Everything that we do is around the family company. Mm -hmm. um, you know, my father had exactly the same thing, took over from his father. My, my father David, his father was William Henry. Um, so it just, it was a natural progression. And, and you know, we were there when we were kids, um, when our grand, helping out our grandfather at the time, and can clearly remember him on a, you know, building sites at Surface Paradise after my, my grandmother passed, he had nothing to do. So he did a little block of apartments up there and we were, we were helping with the, you know, the gardeners through the final landscaping. And, and my father's, we've learnt, you know, everything from him, from a very hands-on, um, practical way of doing things. Johnny's got four kids, I've got two. So, you know, we hope that we can instill everything that we've learned into them and perhaps they come and join the company as well. And I saw him here earlier uh, this morning, your father, David, is still quite involved in the business. What sort of, what's his role, I guess, uh, in, in these times at the moment? He's here every day, but he's but he's not as not as active. But he doesn't have too many hobbies outside uh, outside work, so he still loves it on a day to day basis. But yeah, not as not as active as, as you know as five ten years ago. And at what age did you guys get involved in the business? And and was it sort of a, a you know natural tradition to go into the business? Did you explore other avenues outside property, or was it just you know you went into it because the the parents were in it and, and that's what you knew? I kicked off at university, which didn't wasn't a you know didn't wasn't there for, for that long. I um, I was very keen to uh, to get into the workforce, but um, I see yeah, I started I started a course and I think a month in I was I was just eager to get going. So I came straight into into my real estate license at the same time. Came straight into the business and learnt, you know, really tagging the old man and um, you know following him around to you know all his meetings and then slowly made my my way into um, you know through different parts of business, but certainly for myself more on that sales, marketing, the operational, the business side of things. It was just straight in after school, so um, it, was a, uh, it, was a, it was a steep sort of learning curve that first few years, but um, certainly I think was, um, you know, learning, learning on the job was certainly the right, the right way for me. And yourself, Will? Yeah, similar, similar um, story. You know, we, I think, I, I don't think there was ever contemplated that we wouldn't join the family business from, you know, from this age. Uh, and you know, when we're, I don't want to plead too much hardship here, but you know, school holidays when we're 13, 14 years of age, on building sites, you know, Mount Martha Valley Country Club, big subdivision, we did a couple of summers down there. So that was a great learning experience. And then it was, it was straight in, literally from the day we finished school, didn't do the gap year, labouring on building sites, which was, uh, which was honestly a, one of the great things to do because you know what you can expect out of a person and whether they're pulling the wool over your eyes. But I was similar, I, um, I had to, I wanted to do the property course at RMIT, it, and I I got one 
tertiary point less than was required. So you could say my, my studies at school were very close to being very efficient. Wrote to the dean, you know, I'd be a great student, all that sort of stuff. I got in, um, I lasted a couple of months at best, uh, and then I was straight out in the car with the old man learning, learning from the practical side of things, which suited me. And, uh, and tell us about the, the DEEG business today. What's sort of your role uh, at the moment and, and what sort of projects are you, you undertaking? It's been a very busy and taking on a little bit more risk than we normally would 20 years or 25 years. We obviously did the Art Series Hotel. We've had a couple of these commercial assets which we've owned for sort of 20 years. Mm -hmm. uh, we've run serviced offices and a telecommunications business and a real estate business um, for 20 plus years, which we still do. But we, we started the Art Series Hotels maybe 10 years ago, exited two years ago. That was a good property play. We weren't hoteliers and we still sort of don't think we were hoteliers. It was more a, a real estate play, which worked out well. Um, and then we've, we've, we've done some apartments in the last five, six, seven years. Probably done a couple thousand apartments in Brisbane, Adelaide, Box Hill, just finishing a big one in West Melbourne now. But what I alluded to earlier is, you know, we were, we've been builders all our lives, uh, up until maybe four years ago. Uh, I've got my residential license, my father's got his commercial builder's license, and we were on site every morning, 6.30, you know, hard hats, walking up and down the sites, you know, and knowing every nail that went into the building. And it got a bit too big, it got, it's not our, it's not, it's a very specialised business, and the margins are very slim. So about four or five years ago, we started with third party builders. Hickory, Hutchinson, Maxcon, we've got Hutchinson building an office building just here, and you spend your time to start on the plans and getting the contract right with the builder, and then you almost don't go near the place for, for, for two years. Like West Melbourne, where we're, yeah. we're doing 520 apartments now in two towers, they're all pre-sold, we, ca we can't make any changes if we want to. We go to site just to have a bit of a look and for interest sake, I've probably been to site 10 times in, in two years. And with so many builders going under, what's the process for, for selecting a, a builder? Is it sort of reviewing their track record? Is it knowing them personally? What do you look for when you, yeah, when you are going? It's definitely knowing them personally. And you know, a builder, before we start with them, wants to look at our balance sheet. Well, we want to look at theirs. But in, in saying that also, we, we, we don't necessarily use tier one because we think they can be a bit more expensive. Mm -hmm. So tier two is sort of our space. But all, all the ones we use are, are up there and very financial. So, yeah. and you know, worst case, we know, look, if they fall over, we can jump in there straight away and take it over if we needed to. So. And so, Will, you're on sort of the development side and, and then Jono, you're on the sales and marketing side. Yeah, Tell so us about that. We've got, um, I mean, we'll talk about like key assets like here at King's Business Park, which is um, a big part of our portfolio. We've got, you know, we've got 70 pretty important tenants here. So I spend a bit more time day to day with the clients. We've got our real estate business with a thousand property managements, our service office business, which is, yeah, has been, has been going now, you know, 20, 20 years and we're, um, we're, we're still expanding that. Nearly in all our developments will organically grow either our service office business and our real estate business into them. So whether it's a new commercial building, they'll take space there and we'll manage the whole pro the, the property as well. We might do a resi development and we might come in and do some, some managements there, we might do some sales. So it kind of goes hand in hand whenever we're developing this sort of the, the businesses flow on. So you know certainly in, in this commercial market as well, the last couple of years has been you know, there's been a real lift. We're, we're, I think, right across the board, probably 98% occupied in all our buildings, in our assets that we own, but then also in, in you know, all our other developments we've done in the past that we're still, we're still managing. And what led the push into the serviced office 20 years ago, before sort of, you know, the WeWorks and all these other new players came yeah. came into it? What sort of led you guys in into being in that space? We like to think that we. We see we work now and how big you know the co-working is going we like you know we've been doing it for a long time but look, very much where 
we've always, when we were doing commercial developments, we would have the serviced office component there, one, to fill up usually on a ground floor, some space that I think really activated the building, but then secondly, to actually grow, to allow businesses to grow then into the building. So a, a client might come in on a one-person office and then you know a year later they're taking a long-term lease up in the building or even further they might be buying an office. So it was a great incubator into all our businesses, uh, into all our buildings where clients might start off as a virtual office, then a small serviced office and then grow. Um, we've had some great stories of tenants moving then down into, you know, or you know, having a thousand square metres down here in one of our, our King's business parks. So that have taken that journey the whole way, the whole way through. So it's a good business and you know, even hasn't been affected by the whole growth of, of co-working because there's still there's a lot of people out there that want a private office. And with the uh, the art series hotel, you touched on on it earlier. Will, what uh, what was the opportunity there? Had you had you see that? You said you weren't in the hotel space. What what led you to, to create that brand and, and get into the hotel space? We bought an old hospital in Preston, the Panch Hospital, Preston and Northcote Community Hospital. Must have been in about year two thousand. It was a huge site out there with eight wings, and it was it was. Um, there was um, homeless living there and asbestos ridden and the whole bit. And we converted that into about 850 units. Uh, and to fill those, we just started making up hotel brands. We had a budget brand and a mid-tier brand and a high-end brand, and then we had some student accommodation. Then we had some... So we, we sort of learnt out there, uh, and we had Ridges as the main hotel brand there. Then we saw what was going on overseas, and in particular this guy Ian Schrager, who was the founder behind Studio 54, um, nightclub in New York, and he, he came out, and he was the, the first guy that did boutique hotels properly. He did the uh, the Delano in Miami and, and some incredible um, hotels in New York. So we saw what was happening there. Nothing was ha nothing was being built like that at, um, in Australia. So uh, at the same time, a couple of great sites came up. There was one on St Kilda Road, there was one on Commercial Road, Bob Jane T-Mart. There was a billiard hall on Chapel Street and we went to the auction and bid on these sites and bought them all in, in the space of a couple of months. And then just started building all these hotels. We built them ourselves. We came up with the brand ourselves, we did the interior design ourselves, uh, and we just opened three hotels in the space of six months in the middle of GFC with no great sort of boutique hotel experience. We named them after famous Australian artists and it all just sort of worked and with a big focus on customer service. But in saying that, they were always a real estate play. We built them at the right level, we bought them at the right level, we then sold the freehold with 10 year leases yep. and that to individual overseas investors or, or local investors and then about a year later Mantra knocked on the door and wanted to buy the, the business which included all the all the liability of the leasehold so we're, we're, we're happy to exit those almost exactly two years ago to today it's November November 18 two years ago and in the sale process we had one in Brisbane that wasn't hadn't hadn't started being built yet so we, we, we excluded that um, we built that we didn't know whether it was going to be an art series or another brand. It ended up being an art series called the Fantuzo, uh, and it's in the most incredible food and beverage precinct under the Story Bridge on the edge of the city. So we're very happy um, holding that hotel, and unfortunately I'm getting a bit too involved again with the management of it, but uh, enjoying it. How do you just go and create a, an entirely new hotel brand and then position it so well and, and get huge um, you know, occupancy and, and that sort of thing? Where do you get the inspiration, not only for the design, but also the branding? There was a lot of uh, detail or a lot of legalities around if you could name them after an artist, you had, you know, at one stage we're going to call the one hotel the blue and have all blue artwork in it from different artists. And we got over the licensing that way. I think luckily we ended up naming them after a famous Australian artist and we knew a lot of these artists and we've got to know them a lot better. We came up with the brand that way. And then I guess that we took a lot of inspiration from what was um, happening overseas. And, you know, we, we travel a lot to all these 
good hotels around the world and you come back with um, you know all these ideas mm. uh, we had some incredible marketing ideas that, that, that you know the steel banksy campaign that you know sort of put it on the map a little bit and some celebrities staying in the hotels and you know I was never allowed to stay say dob into the media who was staying but you know I let it slip that Justin Bieber's staying all of a sudden it's front page of the news and <laughs> and you know you put it on the map a bit but another reason around the art series was when we sort of started off you know, early on in our business career, we looked at every developer out there and every developer that you can basically think of at some stage in there, if they're a true developer, they, they have some ups and downs depending on the cycles. So we looked uh, at uh, cash flow and how can we come up with something that we would pay in the cash flow and, you know, no matter what happening in the development cycle, we just ride our way through it. So the art series was a way, uh, solution for that. And we ended up sort of eight hotels around the country and. Uh, all performing well. I was hands-on. I was looking at daily arrivals and send the champagne to that guy and send the champagne to luck and and, and not getting so much in the running and eight reports of who's staying and yeah, who's leaving. Who's leaving and issues and and uh, daily occupancy. Um, I would I would not get too involved in the sort of the running of them, but I'd, I'd, I would host like a weekly innovation meeting. What can we do different? Customer service, you know, and that's I think maybe one of the keys to success. And you've kept the one in, in Brisbane just sort of as a generational asset or just, yeah, just to hang it, on to? It's so, it's so bloody good, that hotel and that location that we, that we kept it. I don't know the future of it, whether we hold it long, long term. At the moment, with where the market's at generally you know, around the world and in Australia and in Victoria, it's getting pretty hard to, to buy anything with income because you know the yields are you know in the fours now. Yeah. Uh, I just can't get my head around that. And even on some of the development, we're looking every day for for um, you know, scouring your website every Sunday when it comes out to you know what can we buy, what can we buy, and um, the problem is with these superannuation funds and overseas investors, they're kind of working on different profit parameters than than what we're used to. Uh, we're not going to go do a development showing it at. 20% margin, yeah. um, as I spoke about earlier, uh, a good part of our business now is is our loan book, and we've got a, we've started a company, uh, Deed Capital. You know, we're probably compounding interest, lending it out to other developers uh, and investors. Um, if you can get between you know 10 and 15 percent, it's a lot easier and, and less risky and less work than you know doing these huge developments and making 20% return. And so, with those developers then that are utilising the services of, of Deed Capital, what are you looking for from them? Are are you looking for experienced management? Are you looking for a track record of successful projects? Yeah, all of the above. Like we look at some, we looked at one recently and it was like, there's no way we would go into that deal ourselves. So we look at the developer, we look at how much equity they've got in, we look at what happens if we had to take over, we look at location, price point. Who sold them? Like, yeah, you, we can, with our experience, we can have a, have a pretty good look at a deal and, uh, and evaluate and it. it. Yeah. And in terms of opportunities, you did touch on it before, how hard it was to, to find opportunities at the moment. What particular sectors are you looking for? So you've got the Moray Street, which yep. is the office building. You've got West Melbourne, Box Hill. So you're still keeping to residential and, and Some, offices? Yeah, mainly, mainly residential and commercial. We're lending to a bit of industrial, but it sort of doesn't, we haven't got a feel for industrial ourselves. We've done a little bit of house and land in the past. But um, we recently, or 18 months ago, bought some land up in Craigieburn, which the PSP will go through next year, and we'll get into that. We'll do about a thousand house and land packages, or a thousand blocks of land there, uh, and and we're going to probably cut a bit smaller than normal for the price point. Yep. We'll probably build a couple of hundred townhouses ourselves and package them up, and just looking at, at a way.
way to the problem with house and land it's one it's boring and two there's no you can't add a whole lot to it you can't put amazing palm tree landscaping in lakes and get an extra 10 grand a block because the guy comes out there he goes next door and buys there because it's that fickle we'll have a look at that we might do some more some more house and land but we just want to prove this one up if there's a site in the city with an old permit for resi we'd buy it tomorrow so we've got a lot of confidence in the apartment market as i've been singing from the rooftops for years i think we've got the biggest um, undersupply of apartments coming on ever, mm -hmm. 140,000 people moving in a year, you know, and the cranes are coming down like you've never seen with nothing going up and nothing for sale with a permit. But at the same time with those permits, we've always, our philosophy forever has been to appeal to the masses. We don't like penthouses, we don't like expensive stock. We want the smallest one better we can get, the smallest two better we can get. Livable, you know, like a, a well-designed 50 square metre one better is, is fine. Mm. And you sell it for half a million bucks, you get the 500 bucks a week in rent, it's affordable for everyone. Yeah. We always get stuck with the penthouses. Look at St Kilda Road now, there's a lot of, there's a fair bit of development and apartment development down there, but it's all in that luxury market, which is not assisting in the affordable sort of housing sector. When you are developing, say, the residential product or the commercial product, what sort of fundamentals do you look for in, in, in the site? I think we've always bought pretty well. Uh, Box Hill, we, we sort of paid 12.8 million and got a permit for effectively 650 apartments. It's like, works out at like 16 grand a box or something. So yep. that, and that's now 100 grand a box. So mm. half the profits in the way you buy. South Melbourne here, uh, that we actually, was on your was on your portal when we bought it. Yep. Um, we paid about 26 million for 4,000 metres of land with a permit. There's a good uplift already. Um, so a lot of it's in the way you buy, and that's why we're struggling a little bit at the moment because everything we look at is just, we're just getting monstered in the in, in the pricing. So, and with that development process, apart from the building, everything else is done in house. So you've got the sales and marketing and and all that sort of things done in house. Yeah, mainly Le less and less now. It used to be all in house. We used to have our own in house architectural firm, interior design, everything. Uh, now it's you know, it's getting it's getting easier, and that's maybe why you know I used to say every taxi driver can can be a developer because yeah. you can put on a development manager for 15 grand a month, he can run the whole site for you. But you need you still need to have the bank relationships, you still need to be able to make the sales. Toronto is very innovative when it comes to leasing. We've just we've just come up with a great idea to put a very luxurious uh, Mercedes Sprinter, not just shitty bus seats, but like get in, recline, yep. fin review, bottom American water, style, yep. full American style, and it's yep. going to tour. It's going to leave quarter to the hour for Moray Street, yep. right at Collins Street, Collins Street, back through the city, past King's Business Park, Moray Street, all day, every day. Just loops and, and it's free for the tenants who are in our, two, in our six buildings here. So just different things like that to stay ahead of the pack a bit. That and what, what sort of other technologies do you think have, have changed the way you guys operate or, or the industry generally? Oh, I think the commercial side now, there's, there's finally been a there's been a bit of a change and we're, we're developing out our app for, for Moray Street, which is, for example, the, the Sprinter, you can GPS it, you can see where it is on its path, yep. but now you swipe, so you swipe, um, when you swipe, when you're coming up to the door to get in, yep. instead of everyone you know, pulling out their big little thing and swiping in and out on the phone, you shake your phone, yep. it's Bluetooth, door opens. For something like Moray, we're, we're putting a bit of money into an app there that um, is not only beneficial for all the tenants, but it gives them a lot of data back to tell an owner how many, time, how many times the staff are going to, going to the gym and can tell everyone's check in and check out, yeah, what time they arrive. <laughs> um, but on the, on the resi side of stuff, there's still no like whole change in that whole sales and marketing. There's still, anyone's launching a project, there's just still an amazing display suite. And they get, they're getting better and better, but the marketing and the brochures and stuff, it's all still, I still think there's another level 
of technology that um, in terms of the actual residential and you know and selling off the plan that, that they'll go to so yeah and uh, you touched on tenants how do you think tenant demands have changed as well over the past say five ten fifteen years are they more demanding you know with environmental you know, and social and all that sort of thing. There's been a big focus on that here, and, and the the health and wellness side of stuff. We've just we've just um, taken out about 25 percent of the car park here mm. to to put in our uh, health club, the end of trip, not just not just bike facilities and and change room, but yeah, the full health club, gymnasium, sauna, you know, full towel service, um, but and really um, putting on monthly events for the, for the tenants here in the building. Um, and so that, that certainly has changed. I mean, any standard building now, you go in, you sort of, that's the stock standard. So we're now looking at sort of taking that to another level. And the same with Moray, we've got, um, we're really shooting for, you know, we've got the air purification, the water um, water purification. You can't have any, you know, there's no, you can't buy a can of Coke in the building. Yep. Small portion sizes of bowls, like all of that stuff flow throughout the whole building. So, and the guys making the decision at the end of the day, they, for their employees, they love that stuff. And it's important for them so um, yeah there's certainly there's certainly been a shift in all of that and do you think that's the way it'll go from here on sort of outwards yeah, do you think, think you that's going to come that's going to come the norm like, yeah that's gonna, yeah and just uh, talking 2020 the market where do you see that sort of going I think it's gonna be strong again um, I think with debt so cheap uh, like we just did a we just did a construction facility with an all-up rate I think two point 75% interest or something, just, just incredible. So with debt so cheap, you know, and a lot of these buildings take time. You don't just buy one and start tomorrow. Like, you know, West Melbourne's probably a, a three-year project at least from go to woe. So I think the market's gonna be strong. I think yields have probably got a little bit more to go on the way down. Uh, they are getting pretty tight, because if you look at what yields are overseas, you know, four to five percent yield here is pretty attractive still. I think there's gonna be uh, more and more money coming out of Asia, which is going to which is going to prop up our housing market and our you know the, the affordability is going to be a problem. I think rentals going to be very strong for residential yep. uh, for the next couple of years. Mm -hmm. Our last three sales in the city have been two Hong Kong purchases, so wow, okay. you just you don't know that what's going the effect that's going to happen there. And on the uh, residential side, what sort of component would you say would be overseas, either investors or or buyers, and has that moved over the past three to five years? So for for projects like West. Melbourne, 30% overseas buyers, third buyers, but all sold here in Australia. So the people they haven't campaigned in Beijing and Shanghai. They've been they've been bought here in Australia. So out of that 30%, I think 8% of them since they've bought to the settled have then since got PR. So they've since got residency and now not and not FERB. So um, we don't we don't like to expose ourselves to more than that. I mean, it's more, um, it's more how much you want. Five, five, yeah, five years ago, you go, you could go over to, to China and you could sell everything. But the crash, and I think with finance, with money, getting money out being a little bit easier, that was okay. But now to go and launch a project in China, I mean, the the risk on that is um, it's something that certainly we we wouldn't look at. But in saying that, in saying that, we're just, we've been involved in a development in Collins Street, 260 apartments, they're all settling at the moment. Yep. And uh, that, is that 50%? Yeah. Fair. Yeah. So wow. that's, that's strong, that's a lot. Do you think that's because of the location? Or it's the way they were sold. Yeah. Okay. Was the focus was selling them up yeah. there. Yeah. So. Final question, what do you see or what do you think is the future of the of the DEEG business moving forward? Obviously you, you mentioned that you potentially want your kids to become involved, but what else do you see it sort of continuing down the steady track that it's on? I think it's been a it's been a hell of a 
sort of 20, 25 years on the, being what we've done and how busy we are. Um, I think the opportunities, like we, we sit here and I, I went, to, went to New Zealand with a couple of developers last week and we're all saying, what are we going to do next year? Mm. You know, the, the, the opportunities, were, were, you know, you used to be able to find an opportunity, you know, in a couple of weeks and you got your next deal and away you go. At the moment, we're looking at everything, struggling to find sites. Uh, we're obviously settling. West Melbourne and Collins Street now, but that's all done and dusted by February next year. We're building this office building here, which is sort of no, no huge burden on time um, from anyone in the office. So we're looking at everything. We, will, we want to continue to do what we're doing. We're both pretty young. We're both ambitious. We both want to be busy. Um, the thought of you know, waking up in the morning uh, you know, not being able to fill the day is, uh, is frightening. So we want to keep doing what we're doing. Jono's got four kids. I've got two. Who knows, you know, you know, who knows what goes on in 20 years' time when they want to join. Um, but uh, we sort of love what we do and property's in our, in our blood and uh, we don't necessarily want, other than a bit of money lending in the property space, we don't, we don't, we're not really, we've been burnt in equities and we, we're not really, we don't want to look too far outside of property, but so probably just keep doing what we're doing. I think from the family side of stuff, like for, for Will and I, like we, we all sit in the same office, um, and which, which is great and a nice open plan here. Because we're not all day every day in the same meetings, because we're doing sort of separate things. And I, can, I think I said this at um, at my wedding eight years ago, but we've never actually had an argument in this whole sort of 20 years. Because we're just not sitting here like, you know, making decisions on the exact same things all day every day. So it's quite unique that that how that works. So. I was going to ask you about that. So do, do you reckon that? Because obviously in a lot of family businesses, you know, there's disputes every day. Do you yep. think it helps? Obviously having you know your own distinct yep. roles. That's your role. That's your yeah, role. absolutely. Your someone, role. someone competes a building and someone sells and yep. delivers it and settles it. Then yeah, no, it's all it's worked. It's worked very well. Very good. Will Jono, thanks so much for yep. joining us. Thank you. Thanks, you, Tom. Yep.